All right, well, uh, good morning again. It's great to be here with you. And uh, today we are going to continue our study of the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to find Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament. So it's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible, uh, right after Malachi. Uh, Then there will be a page that says the New Testament, and you will find the book of Matthew. If you don't have a Bible with you, please can I encourage you to take advantage of the one that's located right in front of you, the Bible there in the, uh, the book rack, and uh, pull that out because um, we're going to be spending our time together here this morning in the Word of God. Specifically, I would like to invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Today, as we continue our study of the Gospel of Matthew, I want to remind you again that when we come to the Gospels, we are not simply coming to nice information and sort of some historical record which we blow off the dust off of once a week and we kind of look and we hope that perhaps maybe there might be something that actually is relevant for our lives today. Now, when we come to the Gospels, and the Bible is very clear about this, the Gospel embodies and carries in it the very presence and power of the living God. And so when we come to the Gospel, we're not simply interacting with words on a page. We're actually intentionally interacting and dialoguing with the living God of the universe. And that should cause us to both tremble and be in awe, as well as be in a posture of submission before the Word of God and also expectancy that God is actually going to speak to us today. So I want to give you a heads up. I believe that God is going to speak to you today. So if you've got ears, tune them in and listen and hear the Word of the Lord as He speaks to your and my heart today. Because He's already spoken to me through the Word that I'm going to be sharing to you, and now I have the privilege and honor of bringing it to you here this morning. The Gospel of Matthew, each of the Gospels is like a facet, looks like a facet on a diamond. Each of the Gospels looks at the life of Jesus through a particular lens. Matthew is the most Jewish of the Gospels, and um, sort of the the overarching theme of the Gospel of, of Matthew is behold your King, behold your Messiah, behold the Christ, the Anointed One. Now, last week, we looked at the end of uh, chapter 3, and this particular message was about growing in favor through affirming. And we looked at Jesus' baptism, and it was very powerful. The last verse of of, um, Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, it says, A voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love, With him I am well pleased. And right embedded in those words, this was right at the opening of Jesus' public ministry. For 30 years, his ministry has been veiled. For 30 years, he has been completely unknown to all but a few prophetic voices. But basically, his life has been lived in obscurity. And he comes to John the Baptist, who is baptizing in the desert, And Jesus shows up there in the desert to be baptized by John. And when Jesus is baptized, 
you have the heavens open up, a dove comes down and rests on Jesus, and the voice of the Father speaks and says the words I just said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. Now this was essential for the next three years of Jesus' journey that he would have and walk in this affirmation. And it's essential for us. I mean, there is really two critical questions that we need to ask ourselves. Who am I and where am I going? We also need to know who is Jesus and what does he require of me? Those are other questions that are essential for us as well. But really, the question, who am I and where am I going, are the questions of identity and the questions of destiny. And the question of identity, Jesus, right here encapsulated in his baptism, is this powerful expression of his identity as the Son. But just as Jesus heard these words, we at least need to hear the echo of those words in our own hearts, because Jesus... Because the same, with the same love that the Father loved Jesus, so he loves us through Jesus. And so we too can receive the affirmation that we are accepted by God. Not only that, but we have his affection. Not only does God love us, God likes you. Now for some of you, that might be an incredible revelation. That God actually likes you. It does, he doesn't just love you because he doesn't have any choice. He loves you because he actually likes you. I love my kids, and I like them. I really do. I have great affection for them, as well as acceptance of them as my children. And then there is the approval, not only that, with whom I am well pleased. So every once in a while, as I shared with you last week, sometimes we just need to remind ourselves, and we need to say those words even in our own heart, and maybe say them out loud, I am your son, you love me, and you are pleased with me. The second issue, then, is that of destiny. And right at the beginning and embedded in these words and and the prophetic words behind them, particularly out of Isaiah 41, speak of Jesus' destiny as a servant. He is a king who is a servant. And this servanthood would bring him into a place of deep submission as well as incredible suffering and that sending. Jesus was sent. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. A servant is one who is sent. We, our destiny, what we are called to as God's children is also like Christ to be servants in the world. Remember, this is a year of favor, 2015. And one of the things that God has clearly spoken to my heart and I have delivered unto you is that I believe that God is calling us to leverage his favor for the benefit of a wounded and waiting world. We are called to leverage his favor, his grace, his goodness, his love, that approval and that affection and that acceptance. We're to leverage that, we're to to deliver that to a wounded and waiting world. And so we will be sent. But we must submit to him, and at times it will entail suffering, though we don't much want to hear about that, do we? All right. Now, as we now continue on, as we turn our attention to Matthew chapter 4, I'd like you to just 
read along silently with me as I read for us the next portion of Scripture as we look at this issue this morning of growing in favor through testing. Through testing. Chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After 40 days, fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, People do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. Then they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Let's, I'm going to bookend for a moment. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came to him. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. What I want to begin with, before we kind of get into the meat, the rest of the meat, I should say, this is meat as well, but the rest of the the portion from from verses 2 to 10, the actual temptations or testings that Jesus went through, I want to Look at this, these principles of testing. Principles of testing. Principles of testing. Now, I'm using the word test, even though in your, um, you know, in, in the translation we just read, and in perhaps in many of your translations, it talks about the temptations of Jesus. Because actually, the word is the same word. It's translated both ways. And... You know, and, and both are relevant here, and we'll talk about it in the context of temptation as well. But all of us experience and go through tests in our lives. And what I want us to discover this morning is how, what, what does God have to say about that testing that is common to all of our life experience? And with that testing, Understand how it is that God desires for us to grow through testing. How does God want us to grow through testing? All right. Well, first of all, we need to understand that testing is ordained by God. In other words, testing is something that God actually directs and allows to come into our lives. The whole context here is Jesus is led into the desert, of course, gives us, and again, for Matthew's readers, who are primarily Jewish believers, would have immediately brought them back to the Jews who wandered in the desert for how long? For 40 years. So 40 was a very important number. So Jesus goes into the desert for 40 days and nights. And there in the desert, 
The people of God learned, and in Deuteronomy, Moses says these words when he's kind of helping the Israelites remember the important, the purpose of going through the test. He said, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. Now, if I've said it here once, I've said it probably a thousand times. The Spirit of God leads us. The enemy and our own flesh, our own lives, drive us. And they are very different things. You know intuitively and instinctively, you understand the difference between when you are being led and when you are being driven. Yes? Come on. Think about it. Sometimes it's hard to sort it out in the moment. But if you stand back for a moment and reflect you will realize that there's a very significant difference between when you are driven and when you are led. And I want you to notice, going back to your text, please, you've got it there before you, after Jesus was what? Led by the Spirit. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness. So sometimes when testing comes, our immediate response is, you know, to the enemy and we're, we're, you know, we want to get out the garlic and the whatever and it's like something, you know, the enemy is coming to, to destroy us when, now the enemy certainly can and does create testing in our lives, but let me tell you this, nothing passes before your life that doesn't first pass before the eyes of God. So even if he is not initiating that testing, God can ordain and oversee and supervise and superintend and sovereignly use those testings in our lives. In fact, he wants to. He doesn't want to waste anything because God God was green before green became popular. He is the ultimate recycler who uses all things in our lives. So he will lead us through times of testing, to grow us in favor. So one of the things, you know, we often discover as we put out these prophetic themes, and this year is the year of favor, we discover, you know, and and maybe, you know, our first response is, yes, finally, I'm going to get the job I've always waited for. Well, perhaps that will happen, and perhaps... To get that job, God's going to lead you through some things that might actually be a little bit uncomfortable for you. Because he's going to test you in order to prepare you to know what is in your heart to find out if you will keep his commands. Let Let me tell you something that I have observed in 30 years of ministry. I have observed people experience what I would call earthly promotion in their lives whether it's a job or in finances or in some way they've experienced some perhaps even unexpected or maybe they've been working for a while to receive something that would bless their lives in a natural sense. And when that blessing comes and they begin to walk in that place of blessing, I have watched people with sadness, I have watched people sort of drift away from their passion in engagement with the living God. 
People who long to, you know what? I don't ever want to win the lottery. Thank God I probably never, I, I never will unless they somehow have a ticket that I, you know, I don't know because I don't buy one. I, that's a tax that I don't want to have to pay, okay? I choose not to pay that tax, all right? So I don't need that. But if you look at the lives of people who've won the lottery, they're miserable. The vast majority of them are absolutely miserable. All right? So, anyway, I don't know where that came from. Anyway, that was not in the notes, all right? So, <laughs> testing is ordained of God. Second, testing comes, listen to this. I've worded this very carefully. I actually think about these things very carefully. So, this is very carefully worded. Testing comes in our places of strength when we are weak. Testing comes in our places of strength when we are weak. Elijah is a great example of this. First, first Corinthians, First Kings, nineteen. Now this is right after Ahab has had his epic battle with the prophets of Baal, and you know the whole thing, and the fire coming down from heaven, and all the prophets are destroyed, and Ahab goes back and whines to Jezebel. So Ahab whined to Jezebel. That's the literal translation. Everything that Elijah had done had done, and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, well, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I don't make your life like that of one of them. And Elijah, who just destroyed all these, you know, God had... <laughs> Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. There we are, back in the wilderness again. Came to a broom bush and down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He lay down under the bush and fell asleep. And all at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. Every one of you have places which you are strong. Places of strength in your life. The reality is that very place of strength, on the other side of that strength, is what the old um, great men and women of faith call the shadow. There is a shadow on the other side of your strength. The very thing that energizes and enables you to do the calling that God has called you into, on that very strength, on the opposite connected to it. It's not like poles apart. It's two sides of the same coin. On the other side of that is your shadow side. And it's the place of your potential weakness. It's the place of your where temptation, where the testing most often comes. Alright, so, here's the takeaway. Listen carefully. When you are being tempted, remember the acronym HALT. Everybody say HALT. What does HALT stand for? Terry said it very well back here. He just said stop. Okay, HALT means HALT. Stop, yes. But it is an acronym. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. When you are one of those four things, you are particularly vulnerable to temptation. That's why you don't go grocery shopping on an empty stomach. 
Or you don't send your husband to go do the grocery shopping because you never know what he'll come home with. <laughs> but that is when you are most vulnerable to temptation, is when you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. So when you're in the middle of something and you're being tested and you're specifically being tempted to do something that you know, I mean, like, like for Elijah, it was just to run away. I mean, he was hiding from his responsibility, and he's climbing under the trees and says, take me home. Ask yourself, am I hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? Because that's when you are. So, so for me, oftentimes, when I have had the most, you know, please pray for me next Sunday, uh, you know, and we'll be here together. I will be here next Sunday morning, and then Sunday afternoon is when I depart for Congo and uh, Kenya for almost three weeks, and please pray for me while I'm there, because there's going to be an intense, it's going to be a very intense outflow for those three weeks. Please pray for me when I get back. Honest. Because I will be in a vulnerable place, having just expended all of that. I will probably be hungry. I don't know if I'll be angry, but I'll, I, I will be lonely while I'm there too, but, you know, or tired, but I'm going to be those things, Okay. Get it? All right. Testing is tough, but temporary. Testing is tough, but temporary. Remember Jesus, right before, right as he was um, preparing to, you know, he was preparing to go to the cross. Right, right at the time he'd been arrested, he was being beaten, he was, all of those things were happening to him. He looks over at Peter and he says, Simon, Simon. Um, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. When you have turned back. Lloyd Jacobson, who was the pastor here preceding me, you know, I've been here now 25 years. He was here the 17 years before that. I, I remember hearing him say these words at various times. He said this, he said, recognize that it came to pass, and it will. <laughs> he would say, when it came to pass, and it came to pass, the testing will pass. It came to pass, and it will. It isn't eternal, though it may feel like that sometimes to us. It will pass. Fourthly, testing requires us to use the word of God with prayer to overcome. And that's not the right scripture. The scripture that we're looking for is Ephesians chapter 6. So Ephesians 6, if you'd go to there, you'll have to actually look in your Bible. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 16 to 18. Listen to this. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. The Word of God, in addition, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the Word of God here is both a shield of protection and a weapon of power. It is both a shield of protection and a weapon of power. 
So we need to know the word of God, which as we discover here in Jesus's practices of his testing, we discover and see how he uses the word of God. Matthew 4. So we're back in the text. So we're almost coming home now. So hang in there. We've got three things to talk about in the practices of testing. So we've had the principles of testing. Now we're looking at the practices. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The first test is the test of provision and priorities. Provision and priorities is the first test that we face. Will there be enough? And God, if I don't do this myself, will you actually really care for me? So interesting that James, James didn't know what my sermon notes were going to be, and James let us, for those of you that were here at the very beginning of the service, we sang a song, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all of these things will be added unto you. So my takeaway here is this. When we seek the kingdom of God first, all these other things will be added to us. The things that we need. You see... If you are the son of God, I mean, the enemy always goes right after our identity. You know, if you really are a child of God, do you really expect that God's going to take care of you? Really. God helps them that helps themselves. Second hesitations. 2.12. Right? God helps them who helps themselves. Really? Hmm. I think I read in my Bible, apart from me, you can do nothing. The testing of provision and priorities. Will he be the center? Remember, I've told you this before. Let me remind you again. Your priorities are not a ladder or a list. You know, we do God and then family, work, neighborhood, you know... Packers, um, uh, something, okay, whatever, you know. I am not a football person. I am just doing this to torment my friends. Okay. So, um, but we have this list of priorities that we have. But, but in fact, God needs to be at the center of the wheel and the spokes go out from there. And if he's at the center of your work, of your home, of all of these other things, your health, and all of those. If he, seek him first, if he's at the center, all these things will be added. All right. Number two, testing two, is the test of plans and protection. Plans and protection. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple, if you are the son of God, he says again. 
Throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to test. So he starts on the level, and now he's going up to the highest place of the temple. Notice the geography shifting. The enemy's taking him up to the highest place, and basically is, is, is tempting him and testing him around whether Jesus will follow God's plans and if Jesus will entrust himself to God's protection. And it's so interesting that the enemy uses God's word, but twists it in a way, and the enemy will do that even in our own lives with temptation sometimes. He will take even God's word, because the enemy knows God's word clearly, but he takes it and he turns it and he twists it to manipulate, and he says, you really are the one, you can here's basically what the enemy was was telling Jesus to do. He's saying, you can blackmail your father. Just throw yourself off the temple. He'll catch you. You can force his hand. The enemy will try to do you. I mean, the enemy is always trying to get us to manipulate God, right? The vending machine God. But, But here's the testing of plants. Will you actually walk in God's plans and in that experience his protection? So here's my takeaway to this is when we walk obediently in the plans of God, that is the safest and securest place we can be. So sometimes people ask me, I I end up almost always when I do travel, when I have traveled, I've often traveled to the no-fly zone places for the U.S. whatever. I mean, that's where God has led me to go to is the places. And people are always saying, are you safe? I don't know. I don't know if I will be physically safe there. I trust that I will be. But all I know is that if I'm being obedient to God's call, that's the safest and securest place I can be. Right? So, that's the second test. Third test for those keeping score at home is the test of promises and power. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. So now we've moved from the wilderness to the highest point of the temple to the highest point on earth, basically. Very high mountain showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give to you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. If you will worship me. So, you know that suffering thing? That cross thing? You don't have to go through that. I can get everybody to bow down to you now. You can do the shortcut. Did God... Is God really good? Did he really say, is, is, are his promises true? Can you really trust him? I can deliver you the power that you need. This is always the temptation, the test that comes. When we wait for God's promises, we will receive all the power and authority we need to fulfill his purposes. When we wait, say wait. Wait. For God's promises. Because the promises are yes and amen in Christ. And he's always got a yes behind the no. When we wait for his promises, we will receive all the power and authority we need to fulfill his purposes. All right. So we've looked at principles of testing and practices of testing and these areas of test that we go through. So what's the purpose? Well, two things. One is to prove our hearts. We already looked at this, so I won't spend time here. Deuteronomy 8.2. Remember, 
how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. So testing is part of the proving that happens. I've shared this story before, and I will just remind you of it again. When I was in college, I worked at the factory where my dad worked uh, most of his adult life, um, Modern Drop Forge. My father was a drop forger. And um, so this was a very, uh, this, this was a very blue-collar plant that um, created, made parts for all kinds of different things, medical devices, railroads, all, all kinds of things. So, so you would have a forging, which is a big, huge block of steel into which a, an impression would be made, and then the hammer shop, you would take heated steel, and the hammers would come down, and parts would be made. And I worked in, a, in what was called the heat treatment plant for at least part of that summer, where then those parts would go through, and they would be superheated into a bazillion degrees, and uh, then they would come out on the other side, and I had a long uh, steel hook, and I had to look through the various parts, and the heat would actually rise to the level where if there was even any minute crack in the steel, any, anything, you could see it, and then you had to pull those out and pull those to the side. So it was just a, a way. Well, that's what testing does in our lives. It heats things up, and it reveals where there might be cracks, where there's things. And God doesn't do that to shame us. He doesn't do that to condemn us. He does that to heal us, to restore us, to... To, to reshape and reform us for our good and for the good of the world around us. All right, so it's proving our hearts, and we prove his goodness. I mean, right from the very beginning in Genesis chapter, uh, the, the very early parts of Genesis 2 and 3, when the enemy comes and tests Adam and Eve, the enemy says, well, did God really say? Basically, he's saying, the, the, the number one thing that the enemy tries to disprove and discount in your life is the goodness of God. He just wants to say God is a killjoy. So much in our culture today, people think of God as kind of, you know, he's just, he's just a little bit ticked off at everybody. And he's really judgmental, and he kind of, basically, he actually doesn't like you all very much. And he's pretty mad at you. Right? But that's what the world thinks. That's what the church often thinks. But actually, God is good. And it tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Listen to this. For we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, Yet he didn't sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So here we are this morning. And you might be in the middle of testing, and maybe it's been a long test, maybe it's a short test, maybe it's a test that's coming. And really you're struggling with this whole issue of the goodness of God and his ability to provide or the promises that he's given, the empowerment that you need. You're not really sure about his plans or if you're safe or secure. All of those things seem to be kind of on the table right now. Well, this morning, let me invite you to take 
note of these words in Hebrews 4 and take this opportunity to run to the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help you in your time of need. Because guess what? Having a time of need is a common reality for humankind. Running to him, that's rarer. But the door is open today. So we're going to sing a song that uh, I had a prophetic dream this week, and this song was in it. So here we go. It's called Whisper His Name. We've sung it before, so it's not a new song to us, but to most of you. But, but I just heard it in my spirit, and it just was resonating. It just feels the appropriate way this morning to respond. And the words are really simple. Whisper his name and he will answer you. Whisper his name and he will come to you. Call out his name and he will come to you. Shout out his name and he will run to you. So this morning, we do not have a high priest who does not know what you're going through. It's not like God is up there going, oh my goodness, I've never seen that before. What am I going to do about that situation? No. He's been God a really long time. He's not applying for the job. And he's really good at what he does. Because he's a good God and a great God. As Jeremy prayed and shared with us in response, that all of the things that we've been been experiencing this morning, the words that you've heard as we've sung, they're all woven together this morning for this moment for you to have an opportunity to respond. So whether this is your first time here this morning or you've been coming for 40 years, the truth is still the same truth. The truth is this. We can approach God's throne of grace with confidence and receive help today. So let's stand to our feet. There's nothing magical about this altar, but sometimes it's a touch point. It's a place that you can step out to. It's a place that you can come and physically present yourself to God. If you want to do that this morning, do that. If you would just stay present until we've sung through this, and then I'll give a benediction. But if you want to come, I invite you to come right now. Come and whisper. He will come to you. Whatever your need is, our God is enough. He is greater and higher. He is bigger. He is better than anything. Just open your hands if you would. Lord Jesus, this morning here in this house, In this year of favor, we recognize, Lord, that there is going to be opportunity for us to grow in favor through testing. For some of us, that testing is already here. For others, it is still coming. Yet, God, in the midst of it, we are going to remember and we are going to remind ourselves of the very things that we have learned this morning here. And that, Lord, we are not going to walk forward then in fear or frustration. We're going to walk forward with confidence and with peace. 
to trust that you will give us that which we need when we need it. So Lord, for each one at this altar and each one in this house this morning and each one who will hear this word, as we open our hands, just open your hands to him, as we open our hands before you this morning, we pray that you will make the deposit that we need to help us in our time of need. And now with hands open, I pray that you would be filled afresh this very day with the immeasurable love of God the Father, the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, the inexhaustible strength and power, comfort and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours. As you go from this house to yours, sent to make disciples of all nations, go with the banner of his favor over your lives. And until we gather again, either in this house or in our eternal home, I pray that his love and mercy and his goodness will chase you down every day of your lives. I bless you, people of God, in the name of Jesus. Go in his grace. Amen.